Hi, I'm Shane Hurlbut. I'm an ASC cinematographer, and I wanted to kind of talk to you about something. Getting started in this industry is almost impossible. And my wife, Lydia, and I, 14 years ago, created a resource called Filmmakers Academy to make it possible. We saw a lot of gatekeeping in this industry and not a lot of sharing knowledge. So we wanted to pull back the curtain, give you confidence, teach you all the necessary skills to be an amazing, successful filmmaker, and package it all on this online resource that you have at your fingertips, on set, on your phone, on your laptop, whatever it is. So we're going to give you $50. So if you go into the show notes, click the link, and hit the promo code FAPOD50, you're going to get $50 on your first year of an all-access membership. And I cannot wait for you to join our immense and immersive community at Filmmakers Academy, where we network, we share knowledge, we just bond as this huge filmmaking uh, resource to ignite your creativity and push you beyond your boundaries. I cannot wait to see you in the Academy, and let's get to the podcast. Yo, we're back with another Finding the Frame. This is Brendan Sweeney, the host. I have Michael Delatore here, cinematographer. How's it going? Uh, doing great, man. How? how oh, I am amazing. It is so beautiful. We're about to get into some Los Angeles heat, though. The summer's right around the corner. I don't know if you're a summer guy. You were born here. How do you feel about it? I love it. I mean, it's summer all the time, but it's just a lot nicer now. So. You really can't <laughs> beat the Los Angeles winter, though. No. It is so beautiful. Yeah. But uh, how's life been? How's the, uh, the good old film career going these days? Good. You know, it's, it's, been, uh, it's been quite an adventure, I'd say. Um, you know, it's definitely some things are expected and some things aren't. Um, but, you know, uh, having, you know, projects in, in, in theaters is like, it's surreal sometimes. It's like, oh, my God, like I just made something that people can go watch in theaters and Absolutely. pay money for and so it's it's pretty awesome and just so everyone knows he just had a recent project which we'll get into emergency amazon studios film it just released recently right yeah we just uh released in theaters limited release across the country and uh it's available on amazon prime so make sure to watch it everyone seriously you got to watch this film watch it last night and i'm super stoked to talk about it but let's get into your story you have a really awesome story i was doing some research prepping, watching through all of your movies. And tell us a little bit about your youth, which is pretty cool. You were born in Nicaragua. You moved at age three to South Central Los Angeles. And what was that like? You know, those are pretty formative years. Did that have an impact on you as being like an artist or as a person? Yeah, you know, um, it's, it's, it's always pretty interesting because um, the neighborhood has, there's a certain culture between just, just everything that, that, that is happening, whether it be music or art and stuff like that. Um, and I was exposed to a lot of that stuff, which is really uh, an interesting way of, 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 you know, experiencing your culture, which is, which is, which is how I think it should be experienced. Um, and um, was able to, it was also quite diverse in considering, you know, um, we, um, Moved around a little bit through the different neighborhoods, the South Central, Inglewood, Compton. 
I went to high school in Watts. Um, while I was in high school, I was in a performing arts group called Colors United, and it was a theater program. We did, you know, singing, dancing, acting. We even had like our signature play was called Watts Side Story, you know. So <laughs> it was like that's awesome. Yeah, and so, um, but it was a great, uh, it was a great thing to do. Like it was like, you know, I did other stuff. Like I played, I played football and ran track, and you know, in my la my junior and senior year, I was did student government and things like that. Um, but uh, that program was really awesome because um, in uh, 1996, uh, there was a documentary group that came and did a documentary about us. Um, the documentary is called Color Straight Up, um, and it was nominated for Academy Award in um, 2000, oh, sorry, 2000, geez, uh, 1997, mm -hmm. so right after. Um, and it, you know, it followed us, and uh, it was one of those cool things where, like, not only was I doing like the acting and stuff like that, but then sometimes I'd give them a hand moving stuff or thing, and would start talking to the camera crew and uh, Tail Van de San, actually ASC, who uh, was the DP for the the the, um, the documentary. He was super cool and told us a lot of stuff, and I kind of started realizing, oh my God, like I, I've already been doing this kind of stuff at home. You know, I'd, I'd have a, a height camera that my dad had, and we. I'd do these little videos with my with my nieces and nephews and my cousins and stuff. And actually, just recently, one of my nieces was like, "Hey, we found one of the tapes. We took it to Costco to get you know converted to digital. And there's like a whole scene of us like playing around where you were like, we did a whole like skit together. And it was like so so funny. Um, and so I decided I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. And a friend of mine, Sal Alvarez. He um, he was already in the group. He was older, so he's already he was in uh, going to college, um, and he was going PAing on stuff. And he you know he noticed that I was really interested, and he's like, "Well, you want to come out to a set with me?" I was like, "Sure." And so he took me to um, a UCLA thesis film, which happened to be Justin Lin's thesis film. Oh wow! Uh, Shopping for Fangs, mm -hmm. <laughs> which was like. And were you, know, you still in high school at the time? Yeah, it was okay. fifteen. Mm -hmm. So I was like fifteen years old. First set. I'm just. PAing, doing whatever. Justin needed somebody to be in the scene to kind of distract. Um, someone's getting robbed in the store, so you needed this convenience store to get to, to be distracted. And so me and a friend just kind of like played around to kind of distract. So we're actually in the movie. I'll, I'll send you the clip. It's pretty. It's pretty hilarious because I got like I'm super skinny, <laughs> long curly hair, and it's just like it's hilarious. So from there on, I was like, this is this is what I want to do. I. I met more people and they would call me to go on PA on stuff and so that was weekends. the specific moment you knew mm -hmm. you wanted to be in film but not yeah. did you know you wanted to be a cinematographer at that point and were you still trying to figure out the role that best suited you yeah I, th I think there was um no I pretty much from the get-go new camera was was the thing um I think as I got better I, I as I as I got more exposed to the filmmaking part of it I really started to fall in love with the storytelling aspect mm -hmm. and, 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 and the emotional, like I can actually affect people with the work that I do. So that was something where it kind of developed because I'm very technical. I come from mechanics and engineers and things like that. And I'm, I was the kid at like four years old that would take you know, their toys apart and stuff like that. And I would build other things with my toys. Um, so it, it was something that like for me, like it was like, the cool technical part and then now like the artistry of it kind of started to meld and started to kind of create this cool um not only just uh escape you know 
but also a fulfilling a fulfilling thing that's I, I don't think uh, I don't think I was getting in any other way or found mm-hmm. any way of, of, of getting that. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's during your years of high school, and it seemed like as your high school career came to a close, the next step was to what? Go to film school? Is that the path that you ultimately chose? Yeah. Um, excuse me. I did a um, a program uh, right after high school called Inner City Filmmakers, which was a cool little um, summer program. Excuse me. And um, that was actually, um, you know, we, we, we did a class at Kodak. Um, did some stuff at Paramount. It was it was it was it was very um, the exposure was great for us. Um, and then at the right after that, I decided to go to uh, Los Angeles City College for film school there. Um, and while I was doing that, I got a job at Panavision um, because I was doing a lot of because I was literally going like every weekend on something. I was working on something even when I was in high school. I was taking the bus to go work on a USC thesis film or, or AFI thing, whatever. And so I was going to Panavision a lot, and that was a trek going from, you know, Compton to Woodland Hills to mm-hmm. do a prep. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so um, I, uh, anyways, I started making friends with the people at Panavision, and one day I was like, hey, how do you get a job here? And the guys were like, just go talk to Darlene in the back. She'll give you, a, you know, application. And, um, you know, in a month, I got a call back, said, you know, interview got hired and um and started working at panavision while also uh doing my film school stuff and also you know shooting and and you know in, in turn i didn't finish um my my schooling just because um i was working so much at panavision um it just was it it, it just didn't fit in um with the with how much work we were given um and i was i was actually learning a lot but then also like exposing myself a lot where I was meeting camera assistants and they were like saying, hey, you want to come out this weekend? We need, you know, somebody, a PA on a music video or something. And I would go on a lot of that stuff. Um, but then also the amazing thing that Panavision gave me was that they let me use their equipment. Mm-hmm. And that blew my mind. Like I was in the shipping department and I was like, can I take, you know, Panaflex and super speeds and everything out? And they're like, sure. And it was like crazy. And so like I also had friends that were loaders and you know, they had all these short ends that they were always getting rid of. So they, you know, I had thousands of feet, thousands of feet of short ends just ready to shoot. Um, so between myself and other film, other people that were at Panavision at the same time, someone was shooting something. I was shooting something. So I had people come with me. We, you know, they'd operate whatever gas and, We'd shoot, and then the next weekend, someone's shooting something else. Oh, I'll gaffer you, and everything. So we were working like constantly. So every weekend we were shooting. We were shooting with Panavision gear, which was insane. That's awesome. You know, and um, and then you just you, I've just built that built that over the time, and they were super cool at Panavision. I mean, people like uh, Phil Radin, who who's since passed um, a while ago, um, but like Bob Harvey and Jim Rodebush and. David Dotson, like all these people, it's amazing because all those, most of those people actually started in the shipping department and now they're like vice presidents of, you know, marketing or vice presidents of sales or something like that. And they're like, yeah, you know, if the gear's here and, you know, take care of it, you know, and let us see what it looks like afterwards, we'll we'll help you out. And so that really became that and meeting more people along the way. Like I met Carrie, uh, the director of emergency, pretty much like in 2003, um, I did a music video for a band and, that he liked, 
and he saw the music video and he reached out to the band and they gave him my number. Um, and he just was like, hey man, I'm doing this music video, you wanna shoot something? And I was literally shooting as much as I could. So I was like, sure, man. And we met and turned out to be like, we really clicked. You know, I loved his visual style. He had some great ideas. Um, he busted his butt, which I was busting my butt. And I was like, I need, to, I need to work as hard. I want people that I work with to work as hard as I do. So if you're lazy, I don't want to work with you. And so it was a constant hard work. The work ethic was great. The, the, the stuff we were learning, you know, <laughs> we were mm -hmm. making mistakes, but we were learning. Um, and then meeting more people, I met David Yaroveski, the director of Brightburn um in like 2007 and, um, and you were still at Panavision still at Panavision you, yeah because you worked there for almost a decade right 18 years oh it was more than a decade wow yeah I worked there I I yeah I, I worked there 18 years till 2019 uh I want to say August of 2019 is is my was was when I left and during that whole time were you always a prep tech so or you you started on yeah. shipping and eventually you became a prep tech from what I recall. Or? Correct. Yeah. And so so I started in shipping. I moved up to the prep floor with like within a year, and then I was a prep tech for nine years. Um, I was like the lead prep tech for about half that time I want to say, um, and then um, and then I moved into uh, the marketing department running the new filmmaker program, mm -hmm. which was really awesome for me because um, I get a chance to not only um, help other filmmakers like myself, you know, make pro passion projects and, 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 and really get their, you know, sink their teeth into their material and, and, and what they want to do. But also I have to meet those people. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those people have actually become good contacts over the years where it's like, oh, this, this director's, you know, I love their work. We should continue and we've continued to have con connections. So um, it was very, that was actually very fulfilling for me because I was able to do that. And I'd love for you to talk about the new filmmaker mm -hmm. program because it still exists today, right? Yeah. And just for our audience and those that are, is it all over the country? Is it just for Los Angeles? No, yeah, it's all over the country. I mean, you know, I've been gone from Panavision, but I'm pretty sure mm -hmm. they, they it, it's very interesting. So the program started in, I want to say the late 80s. Um, and the story that I was told by, um, by Phil Radin and Bob Harvey is that um, the first student that gave a, the, or the first recipient of the new filmmaker program was Danny DeVito. Um, and from there they were like, okay, we're going to do this program. And they decided to do, you know, this grant application program for it. Um, so it's been around since, since, since the early eighties. So it's like 40 years old. Um, and it is a, it is a nationwide thing. It's only within the U S mm -hmm. just because, uh, when I was doing it, um, anything outside of the U.S. was very difficult. It was a whole different, you know, you have uh, shipping things and, and it's, you know, even though you, there's a Panavision in London or a Panavision in France, it's a different office, it's run a different way. So it was very difficult to do. Mm -hmm. um, so it's U.S. based, um, features, shorts, music videos, specs, um, whatever it is, you know, people submit stuff. I mean, one year, I think I got a thousand submissions. And um, I want to say I did like 90 of them, um, which was, which 90, first of all, is pretty insane. Mm -hmm. like, like reviewing 90? Or no, no. What do you mean? We actually supported 90. Oh, you supported 90. Okay. Yeah. And what is the like typical amount? Uh, before, 
before I don't know I want to say it was it was a it was in like a, a couple dozen maybe mm -hmm. you know um, but it was also like a transition point in that um, when we went from film to digital and there was a lot more digital gear mm -hmm. and it was actually a lot more feasible for filmmakers to make projects uh, digitally uh, with their budgets than they were with film budgets so um, when I came in it was it was it was Alexa was just being introduced. Um, Genesis was already fairly there. Air, uh, Red was already there, and so a lot of the gear was available um, for these projects. And where you know someone would have spent you know two thousand dollars on film, now they can spend two thousand dollars on 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 the on the actual film itself mm -hmm. and get get you know a better location, better act, better uh, better set design, things like that. And so I think that's what helped me be able to do that mm -hmm. a lot more was was that availability of that gear, um, and the budgets being so uh, um, so much lower that the people can actually achieve achieve mm -hmm. those you know productions. But it's still going on. Um, it's a very it's very competitive, especially as as you grow. It's just this is more and more competitive. I mean, I think my first year I probably had like 200 submissions, and then one of the one of the peak years it was about a thousand and. Right, right, you know, so it's very, very, mm -hmm. very time-consuming. Um, it seem, yeah, very it seems like an amazing resource for oh, people yeah. to just have, and that's what's beautiful about Panavision. Just to go full circle, mm -hmm. is you're not the only person that I've heard that's come up the ladder through Panavision. And for those that don't know about this experience, or if you're in Chicago, and they're in New York as well, right? New York, Chicago, Atlanta, New mm -hmm. Orleans, Dallas, New Mexico. Yeah, if you want to get your hands on gear and you want to get to know what filmmaking is from the camera side, they're an amazing resource. I know our mentor, Derek Edwards, he started out there as well as a prep tech, and he got to learn everything about the Millennium, the Gold II, every single camera that they had, and eventually that transitioned him to be an AC. And at the time, he really wanted to be a DP as well, and he got to shoot some projects. And the fact that we have these companies being so willing to help the youth when it comes to filmmaking, it's a very hard craft. It takes a lot of people, it takes a lot of money. And I just wanna shout them out and really like focus on that. There is opportunity out there, it is competitive, but it's amazing to see someone like yourself be able to go into these institutions and get their hands on, those cameras are how much money? Okay. Like a Millennium 2, that camera is like stupid money. The insurance value I think used to be like, you'd have to have a half million dollars of insurance just, yeah. for, just for the equipment. Um, but yeah, it, Panavision, and, and like you said, going full circle, like I just came from Panavision right now. I just went to go say hi, because for me, it's like a family, not only because I worked there for 18 years, but because of the support that I get from them. And everyone was like, mm -hmm. oh, we saw the movie, it's great. You know, hey, there was this cool scene that you did. You know, like I was, I actually had like a 20 minute conversation with Dan Sasaki about, you know, because he, 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 he helped me with some, um, with a modification of a periscope lens for the for the movie and he just he's always like very like you know interested in everything and it's just kind of like it, it's so cool and and that's exactly like you said it's not just me it's everyone and and and, and they're willing to like help nurture people and figure help people figure filmmakers figure out like what those what those dreams are like how can we help you with that and it's it's so it's so awesome yeah, it's an awesome community so i guess during your time there since you were there for 18 years let's talk about you know you're in film school you're really trying to like stack the cards what was the first big project that you did you're like oh wow i'm slowly like getting into this mm -hmm. and i can see myself becoming the dp that i want to be um you know uh there was a commercial i actually did for double mint gum 
there was uh, Chris Brown was in it, and um, and it was actually mostly it's, it was all on green screen, um, and uh, it was just one of those where like everything kind of clicked, you know, I was dealing with the client, help, helping the director. We we did a lot of uh, of animatics and figure things out of how how we were gonna shoot this to you mm -hmm. know the pack of gum the digital pack of gum flies out of his hand and things like that and how do we achieve that angle and things like you know um that was one of those where i was like i was like i was like okay this is this is happening i think this is this is really awesome um and then i've had like projects like um and of course like brightburn i mean when brightburn came around um that was one of those where like you know it was my fourth feature before that every feature was like you know under you know, half a million. I mean, I did a feature for for a hundred thousand dollars called Heartland, um, and so when we get to Brightburn and it's got you know a decent budget, I think it was like six million dollars, and we have James Gunn supporting us, and we have all this, and it's a, kind of this like cool uh, um, premise and everything. Um, that was like that was one of those moments where like. I really was like, okay, like I need to not only like continue um, what I'm doing, but also I need to up my game because um, that was like I'm stepping into a whole nother mm -hmm. ballpark there and a whole nother league as far as as far as what what we were surrounded by goes. Um, you know, Brightburn I feel has definitely been my the project that um, you know set me off. And and going back to Panavision, I took you know they let me take time off, which was amazing. To, to, to shoot that movie and then I came back and I was still working. Oh, that's awesome. You know, it's like, what company lets you do yeah. that? <laughs> go chase your dreams. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So I guess let's go, let's start with Brightburn. Mm -hmm. How did you get involved with that project? You know? Yeah, well, David Jarovesky, uh, director, um, like I said, I met him in like 2007, I want to say. Um, a friend of mine was going to shoot his music video and friend ended up not being able to shoot it so he, rec he recommended me and we met up and shot a cool video, and then uh, became we ended up becoming very good friends, um, and um, hanging out a lot, and then just shooting a lot. And again, very very like I just loved his drive and his vision. He had a vision, which you know is one of those things where like there's there's people that you can see that they have a vision, and you're like uh, I want to figure out how to get that vision too, and, and be part of that. And um, we did. God, I don't know how many dozens of music videos together. It was insane. I mean, um, lots of them. And um, I think we did a couple shorts. And then finally, you know, he booked Brightburn. And he was like, do you want to do this? I'm like, of course. <laughs> you know, um, and especially when they told me, like, you know, what it was about. And I finally read the script. And I was like, oh, my God. You know, it was like, it was like, this is going to be hard. <laughs> And yeah. was there something specifically that resonated? I know you mm -hmm. have somewhat of a background, correct me if I'm wrong, with horror. Yeah. And I don't know if you're a horror, like, you love horror as a, fil as a filmmaker. I mean, I, uh, as, a, as an audience member, I'm okay with horror. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not like I love it. Um, uh, I'm more of like a, like a thriller, mm -hmm. horror movie. Like, I love that, that, that kind of stuff. Um, but I did grow up on horror because like my older brothers would always like play movies like Candyman was like my exorcist, you know, like the movie that like I couldn't sleep mm -hmm. <laughs> at night afterwards because it was just 
was insane, right? <laughs> um, so my older brothers used to always like play all these scary movies. Um, but um, what attracted me a lot to, to, to horror films are, are, are the amount of uh, the amount of emotion through through a film that you can actually show. You know what I mean? Like there's people happy sometimes, there's people scared. There's a sense of relief. There's there's all these different things that happen within a horror film, um, and then there's also a bit of and then there's also this imagination of like you you you've got a little more a lot of, a little more artistic license in horror films because you could you know it, it's 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 sometimes um, you know with, especially with like Brightburn which was like this is about an alien you know so we we done, some stuff doesn't have to make sense mm-hmm. you know this is this is. This is very interesting. And a question I have specifically with Brightburn, and I don't know if this was ever discussed with the writers, but was the inspiration partially from that one graphic novel of Superman, like if he didn't land in the U.S., <laughs> but he landed in Russia? Have you ever read that? I think it's called like Crimson Sun, and if that's wrong, yeah. I'm sorry, everyone. Someone's probably <laughs> hating me. We're like, how did you not know about this? You're but uh, I know there was like one graphic novel that's about like Superman yeah. becoming a weapon, and he's younger. Yeah, uh, I don't know what the inspiration was behind the film. If you can speak to that, you know, I I never really asked them. Um, I just know that like, you know, James Gunn and his his brother and his cousin they 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 think out the box, you know, and they just had you know they're the kind of people that like, we got uh, I hang out with Dave Yarvesky and them we actually hang out a lot and 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 we you know we sometimes they talk about stuff and you're just like oh I never thought about it that way. Um, so they just, I, th- I'm sure there was some sort of, um, you know, inspiration mm-hmm. from that, um, because, because there, it, it is so very similar. Um, but, um, but you know, there's a, there's, 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 there's also like some heart to it mm-hmm. that, 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 that it, it makes it feel unique in a way, you know? Yeah. Well, I guess, you know, getting into the project, it started getting some wheels. You were brought on board. What was it like crafting the look? So you shot with an Air Alexa Mini. You also shot with the Alexa XT Plus, and you went with the Panavision T-Series lenses. Yeah. I would love to know more about your process of, all right, I'm going into a movie, what you're looking for, what that collaboration looks like with the director to figure out that look. Yeah. I mean, the big thing um, I like to do is, I mean, it really helped that Dave and I had already had such a relationship together that we, I knew like what kind of stuff he liked. Um, and it was great because it was different than like what Carrie Williams likes or like other directors that I've worked with like. So I really had kind of, I really had a good, a good solid understanding of like what he wanted. Um, so, you know, we put a lot of images together um, watched a lot of movies. We, you know, I do a thing called date night with my directors where we'll watch, you know, one or two movies, have some pizza or some Chinese food and go like, Oh, look, you see what's happening there. That's cool. Or this works within that part of the, this would be something that we could explore in this part of the movie and so forth. And then sometimes it's just more of a, just like really understanding like tone and, and, and those kind of things. And just, I just want to build that and really like get myself into the director's head. Like I, I think of myself as, as a director's cinematographer in that I want to help the director's vision um, stay in line so that we're, you know, we're all telling the same story. Um, and, and, and how can I like literally like be in your head so much that um, people can ask me questions that they would ask you, 
you know, and that happened a lot. Actually, you know, people would say, hey, we want to do this color. And like, no, no, Dave's not going to want that color. We have to go red there and remember, um, you know, that that area over there needs to be clean because this has to happen over there and he's taking care of other stuff. Um, so the collaborative process on it and, and, and he would give me so much trust on it because he knew I was really pushing to get his vision and then also working with the producers to say like, hey, look, we really want to do this and here are the ways we can do this. Some are going to be more expensive and some will be cheaper, but won't, some will get us done faster. And mm -hmm. so there's, then there's, in, the, in, in comes the politics, right, of like learning that. And it, I always tell people that on Brightburn, the biggest thing I learned was politics. And, um, but yeah, that, that's kind of how I started developing. Uh, I love doing tests. Um, what did you see in the T-series specifically mm -hmm. that you felt, this is what I want the film to be looked through? Was there anything that really captured? Yeah. Well, what, what I really loved about them um, is, is uh, actually how sharp they are. Because for anamorphics, um, you know, they, uh, a lot of anamorphics tend to have, um, you know, they still have the same nice fall off, but like the whole image isn't sharp. And what happens when you're doing um, VFX is, is that's a lot of work. Um, but then also, uh, it just felt, it just felt, it just felt popular to me. Um, you know, it felt like kind of like a comic book is, mm -hmm. where if you look like a comic book frame, you have, you know, this blurry background, but then you have, you know, that character is, is actually sharp and, and so forth. It had that feeling to me. Um, I also love the, the color rendition of it. It handled flares very well, which I know Dave really loved flares. And I just like the anamorphic flares, like basically just hitting the camera with as much light as you could. Um, and then, um, and then uh, you know, form factor uh, creates, a, it, it, it being going back to the technical spot where it's like, this works for us very well because of the close focusness and then, um, and also the T-stop was very good. Mm -hmm. And so you know, all those things kind of came into play. Um, I shot some tests and he was just like, yeah, that's it. You know, um, mm -hmm. it was kind of a, I did a couple other tests, but he, I like doing blind tests for the directors. Explain. So basically I will shoot a test with different lenses and, or cameras, but not put on the slate what the camera or lens is. So they can't have a preconception, preconception of mm -hmm. like, I look such and such cameras or this movie shot with this camera, so I need to use those cameras. It's like I tell them to look at it and say, what looks like this film? What looks like your film? You know, and just, and it's just, just really study that as opposed to um, giving it, a, you know, it's called like, I think it's called brand over brain. Mm -hmm. You know, Coke tastes better than RC, whatever. It's like that kind of thing. Um, so, so doing that, it was able to, you know, find that and, and, Dave is very particular. So there were quite a few tests that, especially once we got into finding like the costume and, um, and uh, mostly the, the, ma the mask for Brightburn. That took, we, we shot quite a bit of tests of that. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And I would love for you to talk about the technical element where those lenses were good for VFX, because you were saying this was a very VFX heavy film. And from just a DP perspective, for those that might be entering their first VFX film, like what is some advice that you can give? What does your prep look like? How does it differentiate from going to something maybe 
Heartland's obviously not a big budget film in comparison to that, but I'm yeah. assuming there wasn't a lot of VFX. No, there was like no VFX. What was your process like? <laughs> well, the, the process, um, I had done, you know, luckily with like music, a lot of music videos, we've done a lot of green screen and we've done some, some replacements and things like that. So I, was, I, was, I had gotten enough little, you know, I've gotten wet on some of those where it's just kind of like, oh, cool, yeah, I understand the king and I understand blue versus green and things like that and 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 um, and, uh, and nodals and, and things like but what well, what I was like so lucky with on Brightburn was that we had this amazing team from Trickster who were the the VFX uh, company um, we had a VFX producer and a VFX supervisor there all the time from prep like six weeks of prep they were there um, throughout the, the whole five weeks of thing, five weeks of shooting that we did. And is that typical? That's typical on a film that has this much VFX. I mm -hmm. mean, we, we literally had, uh, you know, a VFX shot every day. So you needed them to be there. And so I got, I, w I was blessed to have these two, the, these people there, um, to say like, you know, Hey, how, you know, they just, <laughs> You know, they just did Spider Man, and and they did they do the rocket they do rocket, um, and uh, for um, for Guardians, mm -hmm. right? And so it's like, what do you suggest I do here? And they're like, oh, well, just give us a square, you know, twenty by twenty blue, and you know, a couple couple plots, and 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 blah blah blah, and and so it literally became like a master class in VFX with them, where at the point. I would come to them and say, all right, I want to do it like this. And they would say, yeah. I was like, great. Because in the end, you know, the VFX supervisors are going to be the ones that are going to do or are going to be supervising the VFX through post. And if you shoot something that's going to be difficult to shoot, difficult for them to like key or, or roto or whatever, um, you know, the more that they have to do, the faker the VFX looks. Mm -hmm. And so if they're there and they say, like for instance, in the shot where, I'm not spoiling it for people, but <laughs> when when Elizabeth Banks' character is running from from Brandon, and she goes under the kitchen table, and Brandon flies through the the house three different ways, um, that was like seven shots, you know. And when we originally got there, we were like, okay, well we're gonna put her there, and then we'll then we'll take her out, and then we had uh, literally uh, three cannons with that had um uh, uh projectiles on them that shot through the frames and that was the the, the, the practical part of it uh, and then we had to shoot plates and then we realized that the that the, that the the lights of the kitchen swing and so we had to put blue there and then we put blue where elizabeth banks was and this all this stuff like that and i started to learn to like blue screen mm -hmm. versus green on some of those because uh, the green like reflects a lot mm -hmm. and it, it almost acts like a not necessarily like a white card, but it's got more luminance than the blue, and the blue would would almost work as like a negative fill, mm. and so I ended up using a lot of that for 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 that because there, because of the kind of film it was, it was a contrasty. So I learned. I mean, I've, every day was just like master class on that kind of stuff, and um, and it was one of those things where like, you know, you just I. I I got very, very lucky uh, to, to learn all that stuff. Um, preparing for that, I mean, God, uh, if they wouldn't have been there, I don't know. Um, I'm sure I could have produced something good, but but because they were there and telling, giving me the advice and also saying, like, 
well, all I need is this. Don't worry about all that. You know, and plenty of times, there were times where we shot. So for instance, the house and the barn are not in the same location, okay? So the, the house is in a place called Noonan, and the barn is in Fayetteville. They're 30 miles away. Um, where, did, where was this shot? This was shot in Atlanta. Okay. Um, in Georgia. And uh, so southeast, south, southeast Atlanta, I want to say. Um, and so, so there are shots where you see the house and the barn in the same shot. So whenever you see that, the, one of those is VFX, right? And at night. And then we shot the, how, the barn. Whenever I shot plates of the barn and everything like that, I had three giant condors with lights on them. And it's like they're in the shot. And I'd go over to the VFX people and I'd say, hey, so I need to get rid of those. And they're, sure, no worries. <laughs> I mean, sometimes it was like that easy <laughs> where it was just kind of like there's, uh, can you get rid paint those out for me? And they're like, yeah, yeah, just move that one a little to the left so it's not hitting this reflection here and we're good. I was like, That's nice. Sweet. So it's always just like a constant communication between you yeah. and the VFX team. And it seems like, yeah, this was your first big project doing VFX and they really aided you through it. And was there ever, just out of curiosity, where you really messed up and you're like, oh, I learned from this definitive moment? That's a good question. I, I'm trying to think of anything that I... I mean, they were so good that I, I never had a really chance to, like... If you tripped, they caught you. Every yeah, they were... Time. I mean, because we, we prepped so hard. Like, we had a full... We, I mean, we had shot. We had everything designed and thought. So that when we got to set, you know, it was more of, like, we're going to execute it like, like we thought. Or something changed. We're just adding something different or moving something around. Um, it was very, like, the planning on it was, you, you gotta, you gotta be planned. You gotta have your planning, like, key, because if not, especially on a film like this, it's like, okay, yeah, if you're on a Marvel movie and just like, oh, shoot, that wall should have been blue. Everyone take a break. We're gonna change this wall to blue. Come back in an hour. It's not happening on a, on a $6 million film mm -hmm. where we, we shot for 30 days, 28 or 30 days. We had a kid who was underage shooting at night, we couldn't shoot him past midnight. So if you can imagine that, you're filming a, a horror movie at night with a, with a child actor that you can't film past midnight. It doesn't get night until 8.30, 9. So our limitations were, were really stacked against us, so there was no like, time to really like, to, to, to do that. Um, so yeah. I would love to talk about working with youth talent as well because uh -huh. VFX is a beast in itself, but like you're saying, now you have a child actor on set. And as a DP, do you have any tricks to help like keep them in the pocket? What are some of like, the methodology that you use when you have, say, youth talent on set? Yeah, I mean, it, again, it goes back to kind of planning, but then also like I took a big... Uh, one thing I took a big chance on, which was, okay, so... <laughs> The spoiler, the end scene, <laughs> the end scene of the movie in the barn where, where he's following, where he's chasing, where his mom's trying to find him. Right. Um, that was all day for night, actually. And so if you saw the movie, the barn was like a it was it was like a 30 yard barn. Mm -hmm. I want to say it was a big it used to be like a like a dairy barn. I was going to say it's definitely yeah. for cattle. Yeah, it was huge. And it was all open on the sides. And open in the front, where where the um, where the door was, and then open in the back, um, a little bit. And so, 
I was like, you know what? I'm just going to tent the whole thing. And we ended up tenting the entire building so that we could shoot day for night inside the barn um, because we had, we, we couldn't, you know, we couldn't shoot the kid past, you know, plus you, I think you have eight hours, I want to say, minus school, minus lunch. So you really have them for like six hours on set. And so um, it was really a lot of, a lot of like, you know, at first I was like, oh man, this isn't going to work. And actually one day, the day before we, we go to shoot that and they were rigging it, there was a huge windstorm and it almost blew everything off. And we were that, so that next morning we're still, or the next day we're trying to f start figuring out our shots and the guys are up still trying to like bring everything back down. So it was, um, you know, it could have it backfired on me and that it would have gotten blown off and then we're like, what are we doing now? Because there was no way to shoot it other way um you know um it, it's all about that planning saying a lot of times we shot we shot brandon shot first we shot um jackson dunn first and then if we did it over we did it with his photo double which would help um especially if he was in the costume so we had a photo double just in the costume and that that helped a ton so we'd be like oh just that's just our photo double um and figure out, I, I shot list pretty extensively. Um, so, so in the shot list, I'll say, you know, okay, this is, we're gonna do these four shots with Jackson. Jackson can go to recess or lunch. And then we, and then now we can do these shots with, with the other actor, you know, and, and, and a lot of the other actors understand, like, you know, you know, they don't wanna play to someone mm -hmm. who, they love to play to the actors because that's what you want to do, mm -hmm. but um, but when you're limited to that, it's 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 just about planning, and then sometimes it literally just comes off to the to the last minute of like, okay, cut, all right, let's get out of here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they they're leaving right as the time goes. Um, Jackson was awesome because he just he just was there to work and was super cool and like actually would ask like questions of us and say hey. So if I'm over here, what's gonna happen? Like, am I in the shot and things like that? And sometimes I'd show home the lenses and be like, "Look, this is this is how tight you're gonna be. Look at this." And he would, "Oh, okay, cool." So he understand awesome. a little more. And he, who was, I mean, I want to say he was like 12, uh, 13 years old, around the time. And he he really was just kind of like a super professional. You know, we we everyone would we kind of like treat him like the little brother every once in a while and mess with him and stuff like that. But you know and have fun like and show them that we're also having fun too we're not like going you know it's just like crazy you know doing something crazy like this is fun like that's yeah. awesome yeah it seems like bright brightburn was a really awesome formative experience where you got to have one it's your like bigger budget film you got to work with vfx learn from some great vfx supervisors you got to work with a child actor who came ready to play with you it wasn't something where it was like torturous during the process but the logistics of it really helped shape you it seems like as this as the cinematographer oh absolutely i mean it it it, it was like i mean i like to think i'd like to think that i i've prepared myself for those moments mm -hmm. um and 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 was able to like you know, be ready, um, for that. But it just, yeah, it, it turned out to be, um, a very important key to, to my career and, and, and my, and just my overall filmmaking ability. Mm -hmm. 
Well, I want to talk about your next film because this one also has a lot of logistics in it with practical effects, and that's Studio 666, which this was directed by B.J. McDonald. That's how you say his last name. So I watched this film when it came out. Which When was that? Like back in February? Yeah, f- mid-February. Oh, yeah. Something like that, yeah. Where, what is that on? Is it on Amazon? Right now it's on, um, no, I think right now it's on like the VODs, mm-hmm. you know, so like iTunes and wherever you can purchase. I think yeah. it's for purchase or for rental. Yeah. yeah, let's talk about this film a little bit because it's fun. It has the Foo yeah. Fighters. It's about them making, I believe, their 10th album. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're going to a mansion, which is haunted. Very gore-fest, very uh, like throwback to 80s like B-horror films in a lot of ways. And I would love to talk about what it's like working with practical effects, gore, and a lot of these set pieces that you don't see as much anymore. Yeah. And uh, as a D, was this the first time that you've done a project like this? Yeah, I mean, um, with with Dave, with Dave Yarovsky, sometimes he would like to do a lot of stuff practical mm-hmm. too. Um, so you know, um, I had done some stuff like that. Um, this one was just the, the scale was a lot bigger. Um, but then also, being that we were working with the Foo Fighters, not only with um, with how everyone came like with their A game on that one. You know what I mean? It just was kind of like, cause when Dave comes in, he's coming to work and he's doing, D- Dave, um, sorry. Dave Grohl. Yeah, when Dave Grohl comes in, Dave Grohl comes in 110 and you wanna, you wanna you know, reciprocate that to him. And so we were doing that um, and it was a lower budget film. I don't even know the budget. Uh, it's definitely much lower, um, but when, I met BJ, BJ was like, he had all these great ideas and he had a vision. And again, going back to like, I love working with people who have a vision and understand like, you know, what they want to do and, and how, how can I help them make it better? Right. Um, and so, and the fact that like, yeah, like you're doing practical stuff, there's some VFX in here, but, but it was all just like, and it was also very much, um, it was not a since it was not a studio film it necessarily didn't have it didn't have anyone we had to check in on right it didn't say like hey um so we'd like to do this can we do it well let us check blah 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 like, it was like no no we want to we want to cut someone's head off with a symbol okay cool like <laughs> like all right so it was it was it was like it was like so we were able to like really like like come up with some really cool stuff that was already there, but then also like excel it even more because of the people there, like, you know, Tony Gardner, who was doing, the, you know, the practical effects and, and, and uh, with BJ, BJ is an operator in his own right as on many um, horror films. Um, but he, so he's got the experience, but like as a director, he, he's like so keyed in to, to, to the story and everything. Like, so it was pretty awesome. Um, to do, um, you know, and, 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 you know, Tony making all these things for us. And some days he'd bring stuff to set and be like, Hey, look, this is going to be the head. And we're like, Oh, wow, that thing's amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it was, uh, it was one of those things that kind of reminded me of film school projects, you know, like when you were like super, super, like the beginning of film school when everything was just like, I'm all, I only care about film and I'm, you know, and it's like, you had all your friends come over and everyone's like doing something and you're, maybe you're sleeping in the same house and then you're waking up and then you're shooting again the next day. Like, that's kind of what it felt like. It felt like, 
everyone just had this amazing energy of like, this is going to be so much, this is going to be so rad and we're having so much fun doing it that it's just, yeah, I did it. <laughs> I told you it's going to happen once. Everybody, I'm surprised I haven't done it yeah. yet, honestly. Um, so like, uh, yeah, so we just, we all just had a blast. Um, although logistically it was a pain in the ass because that, that house is, which I don't think it's here anymore, is in Encino, um, is like, is like four tier house on the side of a hill. And so there was no way of getting anything up logistically. So it was literally like climbing Everest every time Damn. we had to go like, okay, now we're shooting up here. And just like, it was this, a little Werner Herzog film. You're just carrying <laughs> your stuff everywhere, everywhere, man. So I think one of my, one of my electricians said he, one day he, he turned in 30,000 steps and I, work out. and I was turning in like maybe 10 and I was, I was going everywhere. Mm-hmm. So it was just like, okay, shh. We got to work out. We, we ate well and we slept well on that one. That's awesome. <laughs> and let's talk about what the collaboration looked like mm-hmm. with the makeup team in lighting. How important mm-hmm. is lighting for practical effects and making sure that that looks well? Did you spend a lot of time studying how to do these setups? What did the process look like? Yeah, well, you know, like I had actually just come off a film called Books of Blood. Um, did I shot in Nova Scotia. Um, and so it kind of like it's it kind of like uh, was still very fresh in, in, my, in my mind and, and also just kind of like um, with my gaffer, um, we had already like kind of like, you know, we just already kind of have a rapport and kind of understand like this is what looks good. Um, and again, going back to like Tony's stuff, like it just looks so good that you could literally just put something up and it's like, that looks great. All right, make an adjustment here. Ooh, that's better, you know? Um, because it, 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 it really does make a huge difference when you have that level of, um, you know, prosthetics and, and other things there. Because of what happens, you know, the, you end up having to try to hide it with mm-hmm. lighting or, or, or something like that. But when it, they're that great, you're just kind of like, man, I just do my, I just do what I regular, regularly do. This film came out very fast. Uh, I literally met BJ, um, we went to the house the Foo Fighters were still recording there. Um, they actually recorded their album at that house. And they were finishing up and moving, the, starting to move the gear out. And we started talking, we went around, and he told me all these things and stuff like that. And he literally was like, you wanna do this? And I'm like, yeah. And so <laughs> he hired me and we, we hit the ground running. We had about two weeks of prep. So it was practically no time to prep this size of a film. Um, and uh, and we went right into it. Um, got a chance to do a small test for him, but you know he kind of just was like, I, I, you know, I trust you. You know, just do do your thing, and 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 we'll go from there. So he gave me a lot of la- a lot of latitude mm-hmm. in that sense, and and a lot of support. And you know, sometimes I'd come up and I'm like, Hey, man, I'm still working on this thing. He's like, Dude, it was great. Like, I'm like, I'm like, all right, let's roll. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. What did you shoot this project on? Uh, we shot it on Alexa Minis and uh, Panavision Zeiss Super Speeds, mm-hmm. um, which are just kind of like uh, like a go-to setup that I've had for a long time through Panavision that I've like always known, like, okay, I know that looks good. It was also, um, again, we were like a fairly low-budget film, mm-hmm. so it was something that I knew, like, okay, we can afford this, you know, um, you know, 
I think it was also a very busy time in the in, during you know mm-hmm. the biz the the, the industry and so. I was like, dude, this look great. I'm gonna just, you know, make this look as good as I can. Um, we, uh, I use um, my colorist, uh, Mitch Paulson, at uh, Company Three. Um, I think we've used the same. I've I've worked with him on four shows now, and we've used the same LUT mm-hmm. um, throughout the years. So it's just it's like literally just a basic, you know, forget what kind of what do we call it? It's like a film emulation LUT. Okay. Yeah. Um, just makes it look like 5219 mm-hmm. and then um and i've used that on everything from bright burn to emergency everything and it's just it's kind of a nice little starting starting base so all that stuff just kind of came together really fast um uh whenever bj wanted something specific um then i would then, then he would show it to me because he's super he lo- like he's got like all the like memorabilia of mm-hmm. things and he's he pulls out like references of films where i'm like i've never seen that bro you gotta show it to me <laughs> was <laughs> like, this the first time you guys collaborated together yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's actually very interesting because it was it was the first time we had ever met which you know him being you know a, a pretty a pretty popular um operator i'd never seen him at panavision or maybe i'd seen him and he came in and laughed or whatever um but yeah it was the first thing we'd ever and he just he was amazing at at at, at uh at uh, having the vision and then also helping let, letting me help him mm-hmm. um, which is like amazing to be able to do because that's you know that's what you want to be able to that gives you so much more invested in the project and it's just kind of like I'm just pointing and lighting stuff for people so it's like I'm helping them well, that's really cool yeah in, spoiler alert for this film my favorite setup which I feel like most people's uh-huh. favorite setup is the whole like chainsaw okay. scene yeah was there one specific setup that you did in that film that you really loved um yeah I mean I it, it god it sounds bad saying it now but it was Taylor's because unfortunately we lost Taylor mm-hmm. um just recently um but Taylor's was just kind of like you know, just a fun one to do. Um, his was the symbol. His was the symbol. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we did the, the throwing the symbol and they had like a half a symbol in the wall and he stuck there for a minute. And then we did all the V. This is where like, also my VFX, like this is where like, I was like, okay guys, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do a blue here. We're going to do this. And like, so I really like, I already knew what we needed to do <laughs> so from, from the Brightburn experience. It was just kind of like super like, okay, cool. Boom. And um, it just it just was a, it also was a very like a great scene between um, Taylor and 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 Dave um, just in general like the two drummers going at it you know um, I actually didn't shoot damn it I actually didn't shoot um, uh, the chainsaw part okay so oh that's right there was yeah. another DP and that's a question I did want to but go ahead with that well yeah so so basically um, I shot the first part of the love scene with, with, um, Whitney and, um, Rami. And then, um, because the, because of the way we had planned the gag, there was going to be a couple hundred gallons of blood. And so we couldn't shoot it in that location because we would have ruined the house. Right. So we ended up deciding to build an exterior location where we were going to do that cut. Um, and then I think this is like day 20 of 26 and COVID hit. 
and they're like, hey, guys, we got to shut down because COVID, blah, blah, blah. We're like, what? Um, so that night, we actually ended up shooting um, part of the end fight scene with him and, um, and uh, 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 the band manager. So we shot the last part of the fight, and then we, 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 we shut down. Um, uh, tried to come back on in July, but that didn't. So this is March, right? So they tried to come back in July. It, the numbers went back up. People, people were like, no, we can't do it. And then it uh, came back up in August, and I was, I was going to go on this other project. And then so I ended up having to not be able to do it. Uh, the other project ended up going away, so it was like just a very like ended up being like the worst thing that could happen because I was like, oh, well, I'm already signed up to this. This other thing's happening and didn't happen. And I was like, all right, well, you know, I still was a supportive person. Like I went and I actually like talked with um, our other DP, Eric, and I said, hey, you know, this is how we did this. We're going to do this. We planned this like this. And my gaffer and my whole crew was on it from the other things. So it was very much kind of like we just took everything and they said, okay, this is how we were finishing these parts. So, um, so yeah, uh, and whenever sometimes they'd call me and say, hey, we were, we, we were, remember, do you remember how we did this? I was like, yeah, this is blah, blah, blah. And so, um, so yeah, so the Rami, the, that scene is up until, up until the chainsaw part, I shot that. And then the chainsaw part, they shot it um, eight months later. That's crazy. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> Dang. Yeah, it's unfortunate how the pandemic uprooted so many productions. I yeah. Doing Finding the Frame and getting the chance to talk to all of these filmmakers with their projects over the last three year, three years, it's a very similar sentiment of like, oh, yeah, we were shooting. Oh, or we were about to shoot with Alice Brooks. Same thing with Tick, Tick, Boom. And that was yeah. like postponed indefinitely and like oh my god this project might be gone but it's it's amazing to see that you guys were able to come through and even though you didn't finish those scenes that you could still be there to aid with all of the questions and uh that's really awesome that film is just so much fun just for all of the gore and you even from the get-go with the like hammer and the girl that's crawling on the ground like okay yeah i'm ready for this let's uh let's see some blood and guts and um so that came out back in February, and you wrapped that, and then you, was it emergency right next when you were going into that, or did you just have some no, time? No, that was a, I mean, that was basically, you know, 2020, the year that existed but didn't, mm -hmm. right? Um, ended up doing like a, a small spoof commercial with, with the Foo Fighters. Um, it's called like, a, where he drank a lot of coffee, fresh products or whatever. And, but and a couple little things here and there, but I didn't have a project until 2021, which was Emergency. And how did you get wrapped into that film? So with Emergency, uh, you know, it goes back again to like that, 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 that old filmmaker friend that I've been mm -hmm. working with forever and Carrie Williams and that, um, you know, what ended up happening, what, the way actually it started was Carrie did a program called Project Involve through Film Independent, which is an amazing program. And if anyone doesn't know about it, it's, it's just a great program. They choose five directors, five cinematographers, five writers, five editors, and five producers. And they basically mentor them. They bring, they bring uh, p filmmakers in to speak to them. They, and then they, they can do a, a short project, right? And so like the writers will write something and the directors pitch to the writers like how would they would direct it. And then they, they team up with the producer and everything like that. And then they have all these teams to shoot these shorts. 
And so um, Carrie was in that program in 2017. And um, uh, uh, he called me up. He's like, hey, man, I'm doing this project, but I got to use the DP from the shoot from the program because that's how the program works. So I was like, yeah, no worries. He's like, but we need, you know, we need some help with crew. I'm like, dude, I'll go help you. I don't like, like, I, you know, you're, you're my friend. Like, I'll, I'll go help you guys. Um, and, uh, like, you know, ended up being very helpful for them mostly because, you know, they were having a hard time to get crew and I was able to like every, I think we shot three days and every day I brought like different people in to help me. So we were able to help them finish it. And so I ended up gaffing the, the, the short for them. Um, and when they told me what it was about, I was like, oh yeah, this is okay, cool. Let's do this. And, um, uh, so then the project got, you know, built up steam. They won the Sundance award. They won a South by award and everything like that. And, um, and the interesting thing is that, you know, because the, the cinematographer, actually Joe Mofrey, um, because of the pandemic, he got backed up, I guess, with other projects and things moved around and he was unable to do emergency now, you know, because he has the first shot at because he shot the short. And Carrie's like, well, unfortunately, Jomo can't do it, but unfortunately, fortunately, that means, you know, we can interview you because we have to do the interview process. Like, sure, let's do it. And so, you know, I came in and met with them and met with uh, Temple Hill and, and, and everyone and, and, you know, and just kind of like was like, this is, uh, I want to do this. This is, this is a, a very, I think for me, one of these projects that, you know, not only can I bring a lot to it because of my experience with uh, my filmmaking experience with Carrie, um, but just like just my passion for, for, for telling, helping tell this story will, will be um, a lot. And so, you know, Carrie was just kind of like, he was just uh, very happy, very, he was very happy to be able to work with me, I think, because, you know, again, we just, it helps to have that, that, um, that feeling of like, you're mm -hmm. someone, you know, who, who is going to be there to like, make sure you're doing everything. Um, and also watch your back just in case like, Hey, you know, there were any, many times where I'd be like, this is going to happen. Like for instance, we're shooting at night. Everything's going to go a lot slower than you're used to because first of all, we have 60, 70 people on set in the woods at night. This isn't going to be us quick running and grabbing this thing. Um, and things like that, like anticipating and knowing like you're going to have this much time because of this. And this, this is going to, this transition from this location and things like that. There's like, people don't really like you, you, you you just kind of don't understand and then until it hits you and then you and then sometimes it can be devastating on a production where it's like oh well you're in the shoot you, you shot the shot you get you get to shoot the shot and then that's it because we're never coming back here anymore and it's like wait but i got a whole another thing here it's like yeah we're not coming back here anymore mm -hmm. so um i think that was where i was very i feel like i was trying to be especially very useful and very like hey like not, I don't want to call it educational in a sense, but like just, just kind of like giving the heads up, like this is this is what mm -hmm. you want to understand, having already gone through enough projects where where, where I, I had those things happen to me. Yeah, an emergency is a really interesting film. I just got to watch it last night, and hearing all of that, how you were brought into it, how it's evolved. What's amazing about emergency is it does a great job of having that situational humor we're in this situation, guys, what do we do? But also tackle social discourse, topical matters, and it's personal probably to a lot of people that are going to watch it. 
And as you started getting into the process, right, there's a lot of characters. We have uh, to go through some of their names. We have Sean, which is RJ Clyer. That's how you say last uh, his last name? Yeah, Kyler. Yeah. Kyler. Then we have uh, Kunle. Um, obviously, these characters and Carlos, those are the three guys that are in this situation. Not going to give too much away because people definitely need to see the movie. Yeah. Um, I want to know where this film is very character driven. Do you see yourself when you're shot listing, thinking about it, do you develop any sort of rules of engagement for a composition, considering how they're gonna share each other in the frame? Is there something that you try to like, with, uh, with the director that you try to formulate? Oh yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, Carrie, I think, I think we started, I think I was hired like, you know, three weeks or something before we were leaving to, to hard prep in Atlanta. Um, but we were working like from the get go and Carrie's very visual and, um, and, and purposeful with all of his framing and everything, because he wanted everything to be like, you know, why, why are we, why, why is this frame? I don't just want a close up for close up sakes, you know, um, eye lines and things like that. So we, we developed a whole kind of, um, we developed our language. It slowly progressed also as we moved in through prep like once we got to atlanta and we saw some locations and we're like hey remember that thing you want to do well we can do it right here because we have the space or we have these cool windows or this and that um and um and then also like you know we we, we got into the car and we're like okay we, we got a van now like let's see what we can actually i know you want to do this shot but you know what that means we got to cut the roof off the car or something like that and and there's things like that that um that we've developed but you know at its core, like for instance, one of the things I do when I break down every script, when, I, when I'm like signed on to the project and I'm ready to go is I do an emotional beats uh, breakdown. So each scene is broken down, you know, scene number, like location, what's happening in that scene, uh, whose scene is it, and what's, what's the emotional beat of that scene? You know, is there fear, is it sad? And then what, what that does for me is it is it not only like shows me like I can see like a big picture arc, right? But then also I can see um, when we're on set and say like, hey, this 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 didn't really happen on 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 um, emergency because it was such a good we 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 planned so well we actually did really well, um, but on like another show we 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 had like plan to do seven shots of this family eating um but in the end we i looked back the thing and we only had it we only had like 30 minutes to shoot it and i was like i go to the director instead of this let's just push in and it's on books of blood it's like it's about her she feels trapped she's back in the place where she didn't want to be let's push in through the family onto her and and then she sells it because she was so good Britt robinson was just like you know just just so amazing that like that one shot sold it because it goes back to the emotion beat of the scene. So we do that same thing with, with this, with, with emergency and occasionally Carrie and I would be like, well, what, what is the emotion here? What's, you know, what is this drive? Um, there's a connection here between them or there is a disconnect now between him. Um, and then we, we started doing more things and like, um, I use different lenses for the close-ups on them. So like Kunle, is african-american but like first generation nigerian his parents are wealthy and uh sean is like you know grew up in the hood you know um so they have different points of view um 
And so to, to, to kind of like subjectively show that point of view, I was like, well, I'm going to shoot, you know, I can't remember what the lenses were. I think it was 65 on one and then a 50 on the other. And, and they were close enough that they looked like the same frame, but perspectively what you saw was different. Um, and that kind of gave a, a, a feeling of like each one, uh, you know, had a different perspective um, in that. And then, um, you know, there are little things like that we built, we built throughout the story um, in the, the scene with the police. Mm-hmm. Uh, I give spoilers, huh? Uh, <laughs> well, then the scene with the police, you, ho- hopefully yeah. somebody, <laughs> hopefully if you're watching spoiler this because alert, you watched, the, yeah, spoiler alert, in the scene with the police, um, you know, I pitched on him to say, like, we never see the police. Like, not because, one, I didn't want to personify any, anybody to say, like, oh, we're scared of that white police officer or something like that. It's like, no, no. They're just scared of, like, what could happen to them. And I actually kind of used my horror background in that sense of saying, like, you know what? I'm treating, I'm treating the force, the police force, as, like, a, like, a, like a, a force that they're scared of. Mm-hmm. Just like someone would be of, like, some spirit or something in a, in a horror film or or some, you know, axe murder or something like that. Like, they're scared of something that you don't almost don't see. And that fear, um, you know, is looming over them. And so there's a lot of stuff where, where we use that, where it's just kind of like there's this fear and we, we see pieces of it, but and we see pieces of the police, but we don't actually see them, their faces, because it, it doesn't matter. Like, it's, it's not about those officers. It's about the general feeling that they're having and having and giving the respect to to the to that and saying like oh wow like you know this is this is a true fear like for 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 the for you know mostly sean you know and he kind of like gets the guys on their side to be like are you sure and then it's like oh shit like we don't know is it this is this could be um this could be something that could happen to us so there were things like that um and the, I just yeah. want to sp- speak mm-hmm. specifically to that blocking too. Yeah. The way it goes from Kunle and the resuscitation to him getting pulled out. Yeah. And I didn't even notice that until you mentioned, oh, we really don't see the faces of the police officer. Yeah. And this is all in the third act. And like we said, spoiler alert, but it's amazing how you used your sense of composition and roles of engagement, how these characters are playing within the frame, but also these additional characters that come into the story which are the cops and uh how that carries through to like the final moment of the film because Mm -hmm. we hear them now at the party or they're now at the party but we hear the siren in the background and then that's another like oh we're not actually going to show it but we're going to use the tools to personify what this omniscient character is which is the cops i just thought that was really like key to talk about because that made the third act so good and it really like put underscored the whole point of the film yeah um and now yeah that's very brilliantly done yeah thank you no we did a lot of you know um uh, a lot of interesting things we tried to like be purposeful with everything where we could and really have like carrie mentions an authorship of every image and um you know there were times where most of the time where it was like all right carrie this is remember we talked about we're gonna do this shot through here and i had a hand finder that actually we connected to an iPad. And so like um, the iPad, you know, either he or I had it and we were like, we can do this, we can go through here, we can do that, blah, blah, blah. And everything was like, okay, cool. Yeah, because remember this this pot, you know, 
um, everything had a purpose. Uh, the the red the party that Sean goes to at the end is red because that's the color of the emergency room sign light hitting him. So it's like it's it's a subjective thing of being like oh now like he's feeling like oh my god like this is where I should be, things like that. Things like you know using, I think in Atlanta I want to say the the um, the sirens of or the the lights of police lights there are blue they're not blue and red but i was like no we have to use i'm i'm have the hospital's going to be white and the cops are going to be blue and red and that whole scene is going to have red white and blue this is america like it was kind of just like a sub you know one of these little things where we're just kind of like okay cool um so yeah a lot of that stuff um we ended up using um alexa mini lfs um, with the Panaspeed uh, lenses, and that's mostly because a lot of the movie takes place in a van, and that's all actually on a on a on an LED stage, so all the interiors are LED. Um, but Carrie wanted this like intimacy with the characters, and what happens with the large format is is you're able to use a longer lens, uh, but have a wider field of view. So like where you would like maybe use like a 21 in the car, you would have like a fisheye distortion kind of look to it. And it just, it didn't feel right. Um, it just, you know, you didn't feel like you were along with a ride with these guys. We were able to use like 35s instead and have the, literally the same field of view, but yet have a better, you know, you, you have a, a, a more what they call rectilinear image so that um, it didn't feel distorted. It felt like you were in there with them. And then because the lenses let you get close focus so well, we could be in the van and, and like, you know, 20 inches away from someone in focus mm -hmm. and it not look, you know, weird. Did you say what the lenses you used were? Yeah, there were a Panaspeed, um, Panaspeed lenses. They're mm -hmm. the, um, the large format uh, lenses that uh, Panavision developed. Um, and you said you had some modifications to these lenses, right? No, those lenses actually were straightforward. Um, I knew I really liked them because I had tested them before. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Part of my thing at Panavision was like Dan would hand me stuff and say like, hey, test this for me. And I would actually tested a bunch of lenses for them over the years. But um, I really knew that they were going to be great. Um, and honestly, function and, and, and look-wise, I, I did another test and, and we really liked them. Um, but, um, but what I did, what, what we had, Dan had did for me was, um, because they were in the car and we only had two cars. So we only had two vans. Um, uh, one van had, um, one van had tint and that was our exterior van. And because we had stunt drivers driving that and things like that, we, we would use that one as the exterior. Our interior van, uh, did not have tint so that when we could look out into, we, we had enough light on the uh, LED stage. Um, so because we only had two vans and we were shooting way out of sequence, um, like, I mean, we, we, all the interior van stuff was done periodically because basically it was our, our cover set. So when it rained, we couldn't shoot our exterior somewhere. So we'd go to stage and shoot the interiors of the van. And so that, that it became our like go-to stage. So it was never like at the same time. So there were times where like there were shots of Carrie wanted where I literally would have to rip the roof off. And you're not going to rip the roof off because we need it for 
two weeks from now when we shoot the rest of this scene. And it was like, oh, God, so how am I supposed to fit? You know, there's some shots in there where you're just like, how did you fit the camera in there? And it was because we had a 90-degree, Dan uh, tweaked a, there's a 90-degree periscope. Um, and he tweaked it so that it would, that it would cover the, um, the large format frame because it was designed for Super 35. So because the sensor was bigger, it would have, you would have had this just giant vignette. So Dan tweaked it for that. And what that allowed us to do was literally get right angles in the van that wouldn't have been possible unless we would have cut a hole in the van or cut, you know, or broken mm -hmm. a window, <laughs> you know, crazy. or taken out a window. So mm -hmm. that helped us tremendously. We used it, I mean, all the time. It was, it was, it was with us all the time and, and just uh, was uh, added to, to, to our flexibility to mm -hmm. be able to do that. And that's something that I would also plan on my shot list. I'd be like, okay. We need the periscope for this. Um, we need the periscope for that. Blah blah blah. And you know, my crew was just amazing. They t they always like we're, we're ready. It's like, oh, this is the next shot, right? We're ready to go. Sweet. The question I always have because I read a lot of American cinematographer as well uh -huh. is with Dan. It says, "How is this guy just such a magician?" He's crazy. It's crazy. The yeah. things that he pulls off, the ways that he modifies lenses. Obviously, he's been around doing this for like yeah. so long, but all of the anecdotes and stories about what he does—it's just absolutely incredible. Oh yeah, I mean, I I, I remember him handing me a lens for uh, the Prestige. He was like go shoot this real quick. We need to make sure it works. I got to give it to Nolan and like tomorrow or something like that and shoot some tests and they send it off the next day. And then we see the dailies the next day or whatever. And, um, but yeah, he's just, he, what, what's amazing about Dan is that, um, I think he, he, he's, he's very curious. Um, and he takes some chances, you know, like, He's he's fine. Like oh, I moved, I screwed this up, and then oh wait, that ended up working. Like he'll take chance. Like he, you know, like the 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 long story that is that you know when when Saving Private Ryan came to him, they said we wanted it to look like old newsreel footage, and so he literally took a set of lens. He goes, oh, I can do that by just messing up the coatings, and so he took some lens, some you know, perfectly set of good set of lenses, and and. Um, polished the coatings off of them and added more aberrations by like, you know, scoring it and doing all these you know, bad stuff to it. And so you're like, you're ruining a set of lenses. And then they shot the test and they were like, we love this. This is amazing. And, you know, they end up making three, I think three sets of them. And then they charge like, you know, four times more for them. <laughs> Dang. Yeah. That's awesome. And he's the guy that will, he's the guy that will like draw like how a lens works on a napkin for you. Like, like no kidding like he you know uh, everyone loves that like pets full look of, of of you know portraiture stuff and he was like oh yeah this works like this because you have two doublets and then this doublet's working this way and so when the power changes here you're moving this and you're just like how do you know this stuff um but yeah he takes he takes chances on a lot of that stuff and and you know people love that i think that if you think about it like as filmmakers too we kind of do the same thing we kind of like I don't know if this is going to work, but I'm going to try it. And then, you know, if it didn't work, it didn't work. But if, when it did, you're like, yeah, I told you. Yeah, it's risk versus <laughs> reward. You know, there's a lot of risks. And I guess 
Yeah, maybe risk isn't the best way, but you have to take a risk, right? When you're trying yeah. something, especially when budgets get big, and you're like, all right, I'm going to go for this. But sometimes the re- the reward is just so sweet. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's great to see people like him with the curiosity and passion. It's intoxicating. It also helps push the medium forward. And just hearing the stuff that you were able to pull off with emergency, knowing that you couldn't lift the hood or the roof off. How can I make this happen? Yeah. It's great to be able to see like it's that's the beauty of filmmaking. It's here's the problem. What are potential solutions? Exactly. Yeah, and, and, and honestly, being able to, like, it's funny because I always think about it. It was like, I'm so, like, my technical stuff, I love taking stuff apart. I mean, like, I have 3D printers. I have all this stuff. Like, I love making things, but then, like, also, like, with, I, and I also, um, I'm an artist. I, I draw, you know, I used to draw a lot as a kid, and I still draw, and it was, like, one of those things where it's just kind of like, oh, I can take all these things together. And if you look at, like, I would say, like, look at, you know, like Leonardo da Vinci, like, you know, Michelangelo, they, they were engineers, you mm-hmm. know, and, or, you know, they understood everything they wanted to do. Um, but then also took risks on, on, on some of these things because they knew how the things worked. And that's why it works for Dan, because Dan knows exactly how the lens is supposed to work. And because he does, he can, he can, he can then tweak it, right? It's like, know the rules, then break them. So he knows how it works. And then he, he's able to like, go like, oh, wait, I'm just gonna pull this out and check this out. Mm-hmm. So it's it's pretty awesome. It's pretty inspiring. Yeah, that's very inspiring. Well, here's a question that I mm-hmm. ask everybody that comes in. Yeah. You know, you've had an amazing career and you're about to do some even more dope stuff. I know, like you're definitely gonna be back in this chair and we're gonna be talking about it. But retrospectively, looking back, you know, our audience is a lot of filmmakers that look up to you and they want to know how to get the start, or maybe they're going into the first feature film. What is some advice as a cinematographer? Like, do you have anything that you would love to say? Yeah, I mean, I would, I would always say that um, for me, it's like, you know, be passionate about what you want to do. Like, like it, this, um, it's, it's, it's a very fortunate thing we get to do. Like, what I get to do, I'm very blessed and grateful to be able to, like, get paid to play make-believe you know, and um, it's something that a lot of people can't end up, don't end up doing because it's just, it's just such a difficult thing to get to, but you have to be passionate, you have to have a vision. Um, every, every project I feel takes a piece of me, um, and, and that's in many ways, and that's it's just, just not only my, my life, <laughs> the time you spent working on it but then also like the time away from from loved ones um you know emotionally like what you go through um and um and each project has to be worthy of that for me and i i work really hard at making sure that because they are worthy of that that it reflects you know what i'm doing and so um you know the key when you're starting especially is just Try to try to find those people that are like you. If you work your butt off and they work their butt off too, that's going to be someone that you're going to want to work with. If, if every time you're talking, you guys are like, you know, like building this this community of people. Um, like I say, I I love, you know, uh, uh, um, I love Scorsese, but I never I may never work with Scorsese, but I'm working with directors that eventually people are gonna be like, I want to work with those directors, you know, and so, so build that community, 
shoot as much as you can. Um, really, really study. I mean, you, it's so amazing. We have things like this where people can look at and be like, oh, okay, this is how they did that. Or this, you know, like before we didn't have, we, we just kind of like watch stuff and been like imagined like, oh man, I guess maybe they did this or I don't know. Now you have actual, you know, material. You have people like Shane who like, shows you all this stuff along the way and you're like okay great so 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 the materials there is just about putting the work in and by having the time and then and then having the patience um you know i i i'm i i don't feel that i was a cinematographer until three years ago when i left panavision joined the union and was on a feature film and i had an agent i'm like this is this is it like i'm, I'm now i'm not the guy at panavision that shot stuff like I'm a cinematographer now um, and I'm 43 years old now. And it's like, wow, like it takes time. It takes a lot of work. Stuff isn't going to go right a lot of the times. And you're going to run into pitfalls. You're going to run into, you know, the, the, the imposter syndrome many times. You just got to keep going. Um, I, I, I've never looked at it as like, a, you know, you know, I've been fortunate to have these opportunities, but I also make my opportunities and don't say like, oh, well, I can't do that. I was like, yeah, you can do that, but you got to go out there and do it. And that's part of it. And, and the hard work, you know, like I can't, <laughs> I can't stress that enough. Uh, it's a lot of hard work, but like when you get to see your film on a big stage, like on a big screen and people, you get to feel people around you actually like have emotions on the images that you create it's just it's just it's just everything so you know um just i was like i was telling you just keep at it it's uh it'll be hard but it'll be worth it that was so beautifully put seriously michael we really appreciate you coming by and everything that you've done so far in the wisdom that you've given to the audience that's going to be living this it is so appreciated and just thank you for all of the work. And we can't wait to see what else that you're going to put out there. For people to keep up with you, you're on Instagram. Are you on anything else? Drop your handle now. Uh, yeah, just Instagram, uh, DP underscore Mike D. That's awesome. And yeah. is there anything else that you want people to know about you? Any other upcoming projects to keep in mind? Yeah, I got a TV show coming out with uh, produced by Ava DuVernay called Cherish Today that's coming out. And then I've got a couple other projects uh, that I can't quite talk about yet. But, you know, maybe well, we can talk about it then. Absolutely. You'll be back in this chair. Well, everyone, make sure to like and subscribe. This is Brendan Sweeney here with another Finding the Frame. It's been awesome. We'll see you next time. Thank you, everyone. We're out. Yeah, thank you. Hi, I'm Shane Hurlbut, and I'm an ASC cinematographer. And my wife and I have created this incredible resource called the Filmmakers Academy. And we'd love for you to download and rate our app. If you're a filmmaker, do yourself a favor and download the Filmmakers Academy app today. It's available wherever you get your apps. Most notably, the App Store, Google Play, Amazon App Store, and the Roku Channel Store. The app includes everything on the platform for all access members and from content to community and coaching opportunities, everything you need to master your craft. So download the app. And this is the most important part. Be sure to rate it. Rating us really helps us spread the word and enhance our rankings in this dedicated app store. 
So if you love what we're doing, this is a way to show it. Together, let's take your career as a filmmaker to the next level.